Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. I'm Nicholas Bornois of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you to Capital Link's company presentation series. We have with us today Carlos Balestro Di Motola, who is the Chief Financial Officer of D'Amico International Shipping. And uh, we look forward to uh, Carlos's presentation on the product tanker sector and uh, D'Amico International Shipping. Uh, a quick uh, note on the disclaimer that this presentation is for uh, information purposes only. It is not meant to be any solicitation to transact in any securities, and it's not meant to be investment advice or advice of any kind. Uh, logistics, uh, Carlos will make uh, a company presentation, a sector presentation, and this will be followed by a live Q&A discussion. Uh, you can submit the participants, uh, your questions through the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. You can submit your questions at any point of time during our session, and Carlos will reply to them uh, once the slide presentation is over. And in closing, uh, this uh, live session will also be available as an archive for replay upon demand within a couple of hours after the, uh, the end of the live session. And with this, I'd like to welcome Carlos and thank him for being with us. Carlos, the floor is yours. Thank you, Nicholas, and a good afternoon or good morning to everyone, depending on where you are located. I'll share the, the presentation that I prepared for, for today. Okay. So we start with a quick stop sharing. There again, technical problem here. Okay. Okay, here we are. Um, so we start with a quick overview of our fleet. Um, we are, of course, specialized in uh, the transportation of refined petroleum products. Uh, we have mostly MR vessels. Uh, 24 out of 36 vessels in our fleets are MR, and then we have an equal presence in the other one and handy segment. Um, as at the end of uh, 22, uh, our fleet was composed of 20 owned vessels, eight bellboard chartered vessels, and then an equal number, also eight time chartered in vessels, uh, mostly long-term time charters and, and two uh, short-term time charters. Um, a young fleet with an average age of 7.6 years, 78% uh, IMO class, and 79% uh, uh, of the own and variable vessels, which are eco design. Um, we have invested uh, substantial amounts to renew our fleet over the last few years. Uh, between 2012 and 2019, $750 million in uh, new buildings. Um, last vessel was delivered in 19 to us uh, of this program, which uh, consisted of 22 new buildings. Uh, since then, we have had mostly maintenance capex, but uh, this year uh, we had the opportunity um, to uh, redeem the shares in our uh, in the joint venture company we had with the group Glencore Group, 
for around uh, $27 million. Um, uh, and it was a 50-50 JV, uh, which owned four vessels, um, three built in 2011 and two built in 2010, uh, MR vessels. Um, they were bought uh, at a very attractive price relative to today's uh, value for, for these vessels because um, the, the, the price was agreed just before um, vessel values started moving rapidly up. Uh, so this was a very attractive uh, deal for us um, at a very good moment. Um, we also um, have a number of options on vessels with variable charter in and time charter in. We'll look at that more closely later in the presentation. But um, uh, we, we exercised um, um, uh, the purchase option on a vessel time chartered in uh, the high adventure um, at the end of last year, the vessel was delivered to us in November uh, for around $30 million. This is a five-year-old MR, uh, which is worth uh, over $40 million uh, today. So it was a very uh, attractive uh, uh, purchase price. Um, the purchase option was denominated in yen, and that is, that is one of the reasons why the price was so attractive, because the yen, particularly at the time we exercised, uh, the option was uh, very weak relative to the US dollar. Um, we more, uh, more recently exercised the purchase option on another time chartered in vessel, a sister vessel to the High Adventure, which is a, a High Explorer, which is going to be uh, delivered to us around uh, May this year uh, for $30 million, so very similar price, also five-year-old vessel. Uh, and also a very attractive price relative to today's value for the vessel, of course. Um, we have quite a lot of maintenance capex this year, 14.5 million. We have nine vessels stopping for dry docks. Uh, and we also have planned scrubber installations on two vessels, two of our LL1s, which are stopping for dry docks. And that, that explains the, the big amount in maintenance capex plan for this year. Uh, the, the amount drops significantly next year. Um, in terms of uh, financing needs, uh, we have been very busy in 2021 and 22 refinancing our bank debt. Um, we don't have any balloons uh, in 2023 for on our facilities. Uh, we do have one balloon only in 2024 uh, uh, for one of our LL1s, the Cerro di Londra, uh, almost $22 million balloon. Um, and we expect to refinance that this year at very competitive terms. And uh, there are already some discussions ongoing with, with some banks. Uh, we have uh, been reducing our daily bank loan repayments. They increased a bit. Uh, in 2023 because of the refinancings that occurred in, uh, in 2022, but uh, we expect this uh, downward trend to resume over the course of the next few years. Um, the purchase options here on the lease vessels that I, I mentioned uh, just now, um, they are an important uh, means for us to uh, deleverage our balance sheet. These, were these are transactions where we have purchase obligations at the end of the contracts. 
Um, so they are basically uh, substitutes to tra the traditional bank financing. Uh, they are financing uh, arrangements in all respects, uh, but of course at a higher cost. Um, when the market was not uh, uh, as good as today, uh, they allowed us to raise uh, some valuable cash. Uh, and in some cases we actually uh, managed to raise 100% of the value of the vessel in, uh, um, uh, in debt through these transactions. Uh, we have uh, been already exercising over the last few quarters some of these vessels. The high priority was the first one that we exercised. Uh, it was also the most expensive transaction. We sold uh, the vessel at the beginning of this year uh, after exercising it in uh, Q1 21. Um, we then exercised the high fidelity and the high discovery. Um, uh, for these two vessels, we, we finance with new leasing transactions, but that's a substantially lower cost. We lower the overall cost of the transactions from just over 7% to just over 5%. Um, and, uh, and then more recently, uh, the High Voyager and the High Freedom. The High Voyager was delivered to us in January this year, and the High Freedom will be delivered to us around April. And uh, for the High Voyager and the High Freedom, the idea is to keep the vessels debt-free for now, uh, given the very comfortable cash position we have. And this will allow us to reduce our PL and cash break even, especially the cash break even substantially. For every one of these vessels exercise that we keep that free, we are reducing our overall cash break even by around $200 per day uh, for the whole fleet. Um, we, are, we are likely, if the markets continue being very strong, uh, to continue exercising the remaining options, which are uh, still exercisable um, uh, for the high trust, high loyalty, and high trader in the coming quarters. And then um, the Chelsea Houston um, uh, in March uh, next year. Um, yeah, here are the time charted in vessels, which I already covered that we exercised, adventure and explore. The, the, the other four vessels that we time charted in on which we have purchase options uh, are also in the money, although they are uh, more expensive options, they are not denominated in yen. Uh, and for now, we prefer to keep the optionality on these vessels, but um, we might uh, at a later stage uh, decide to, uh, to exercise these also. Um, in terms of coverage, uh, we usually aim to keep between 40 and 60% of our fleet covered through uh, long-term contracts at fixed rates uh, over the following uh, 12 months. Uh, we are slightly below that. Uh, I mean, intentionally this year, we, we, we were aiming for a slightly lower coverage given a very uh, good, a very strong outlook for the market. Uh, we were aiming to, uh, to, to be covered between 20 and 30% for 2023. We are still at only 15%, but at a high average rate of 28,000. Uh, and that includes both the vessel uh, that is char variable charted out and the vessels which are time charted out. Uh, we will be most likely um, uh, securing uh, other vessels uh, on TC contracts over the course of the year uh, when the right opportunities uh, arise. Um, 
uh, at the bottom we see that the percentage of our fleet, which is ECHO, has been rising rapidly and it's expected to be 80% for 2023. Uh, in terms of uh, results, uh, well, the slide we prepared when uh, we approved our nine months results, uh, we haven't updated uh, it. Um, we made some pretty conservative assumptions on what the, uh, the rate, uh, the TC equivalent rate could be on the three days. Um, and based on that, we, we showed what could be the, the potential uh, results for, for Q4, 22, and also for 23 and 24. Um, uh, of course, Q4, uh, well, we, we, it's uh, already over. And uh, for those of you that follow closely the market, uh, you, you probably know that the, the market was extremely strong, especially in December. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that uh, we should have done better than the uh, than these uh, conservative estimates that we are showing here for the three days. Uh, for 2023, of course, we are only at, uh, still at the beginning. Uh, the beginning of, the, uh, of January was very strong, uh, also because of the fixtures. And at the end of last year, the market has traded down somewhat uh, during the course of, uh, of the month. Uh, but it's still at profitable levels and we expect it to recover soon. But get this, uh, the sensitivity here gives you an idea of what our results could look like for, for different uh, scenarios for, for, the, for the free dates uh, available in the year. So in terms of uh, costs and uh, direct operating costs and GNA, uh, this was also an important area of focus for us over the last few years on the direct operating cost front. Uh, we managed to achieve some pretty interesting results. Uh, and these have, after falling quite uh, uh, rapidly uh, from 18 to 19, they have stayed uh, pretty much the same level since then. Uh, GNA has declined also quite fast in 19. Uh, from the previous year, but then it, uh, the, it has experienced uh, an upward trend. And uh, of course, we are, uh, it is unlikely that in the coming years, we are going to be able to achieve the same type of results on this front because of the inflationary pressures that, we, uh, that, uh, that most countries are experiencing today that, and that will affect, of course, also shipping. Um, and um, here in terms of uh, financial strength, uh, we ended the, the nine months with a ratio between net, net financial position and fleet market value, which was at 42%, and the cash and the cash equivalents of $85 million. Since then, uh, the situation uh, has improved further. Uh, the Q4 was uh, very strong. Uh, and, uh, and asset values uh, have also risen uh, during the quarter. So we, this ratio between net financial position and fleet market value should have further improved. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, market overview, so having a closer look at the market here, we see that the uh, freight rates uh, last year uh, reached uh, record highs for, for MR vessels. 
uh, as I just mentioned, they have traded down uh, a bit in the, in, in, during the course of January, but they remain at still uh, profitable levels. Time charter rates uh, have been, uh, as is uh, usually the case, a bit less volatile than the spot rates, and they still are at very attractive levels, which um, are a testament to the, the very strong sentiment that there is still um, um, around the, the market prospects for, for this year. And therefore, an echo and MR, echo MR vessel according to Clarkson's, their latest estimate should still be able to achieve $32,000 per day for a one-year contract. Uh, vessel values has all, have also moved up, but uh, they, uh, however, remain uh, well below the last cycle peak. A five-year-old vessel, uh, MR vessel, is still 23% below the peaks reached in 2008. So there's more room for these to, 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 to move up. Uh, the, the Ukrainian war, of course, uh, affected the trade flow significantly. We have saw, we saw a, a very important surge in imports uh, of um, crude oil, especially and uh, dirty petroleum products by India from Russia. Um, um, they were importing uh, less than 200,000 barrels per day. And uh, as of December, they were, before the war, as of December, they were importing over 1.6 million barrels per day. Uh, China was already import, an important uh, importer of Russian, pro, uh, Russian oil, but it, it has, uh, since the uh, onset of the war, increased these imports. And um, with the reopening, uh, of China uh, uh, from the lockdowns, um, uh, uh, COVID-related lockdowns, we expect actually these imports to rise uh, very fast uh, during the course of 2023. Uh, Turkey was also an important source of uh, imports of uh, Russian oil, um, and they have uh, been refining more Russian oil and then exporting more of their refined products to, to other locations. So these were uh, amongst the factors which uh, have contributed to the very strong markets, the, uh, this increase in the uh, saving distances. Uh, uh, in this case, uh, mostly for the crude tankers for now, but the inefficiencies in any case, which affected also the exports of products. Uh, from Russia during the course of 2022. Uh, a lot of, of refined products were still exported by Russia to Europe uh, in December last year and actually also in January this year. So we are still to see uh, the real effects of the sanctions that are going to be coming in um, from the 5th of February on the exports of uh, Russian refined products to, uh, to Europe. Um, uh, in terms of uh, oil supply, um, we, uh, of course, uh, there was a lot of fear that uh, Russian oil supply could be uh, severely affected uh, following the war. This, this did not happen last year, uh, but it is expected to, to happen um, in, um, in 2023 with uh, 
We have a drop in Russian oil production of around 1.3 million barrels per day. Um, OPEC also announced an important cut in oil production of around 2 million barrels per day uh, at the end of last year. The effective cut in production uh, is actually much uh, smaller, around 1 million barrels, because a lot of the OPEC countries were um, producing less than their, uh, than their quotas. Um, but uh, this should be compensated by uh, in, an increase in, uh, in output from non-OPEC countries, of which around 50% will come from the US, and which should lead to an overall increase in oil supply in 23 of around 1 million barrels per day. So we will see that that should leave the market a bit undersupplied in the second half of the year, but nonetheless, uh, despite uh, the, the, the stricter sanctions that we are going to be experiencing in 23, uh, it is anticipated that oil supply will rise this year. Um, COVID, here we look at statistics which relate to the UK, but they're very similar for the rest of Europe. But the real story here, uh, of course, this year is China and their reopening. Um, as previously mentioned, which should be driving a lot more uh, crude oil imports um, and which will, happen, will help, of course, the crude tankers and indirectly help also the, the product tankers. In terms of oil, oil, oil demand, despite the, the difficult macroeconomic scenario that the US uh, and Europe are experiencing, it is expected to rise by a still very robust 1.9 million barrels per day in 2023 after increasing by 2.2 million barrels per day in 2022. Uh, the more impressive, impressive statistic um, is actually if you look at Q4 and you see that these are the latest estimates by the International Energy Agency, uh, oil demand is expected to end the year uh, at uh, almost 3 million dollars, uh, 3 million barrels uh, per day more than uh, in 2022. So um, the, the increase in demand uh, in the second half of the year uh, is going to be very pronounced when uh, it is expected that there's going to be a, an acceleration in the, in the Chinese economy uh, and also possibly um, in Europe and the US following potentially a shallow recession in the first part of the year. In terms of refined, uh, refining throughputs, uh, similar trends are expected and uh, refining throughputs should end the year uh, well above uh, 2022 levels, uh, almost 2 million uh, barrels per day more, uh, for, for example, in December 23 than, uh, than in December 22. So that should also be an important driver for the market this year. Um, product stocks are still well below five-year averages, uh, although they have been rising since March last year, and that explains probably why OPEC decided to, uh, to reduce uh, uh, cut output uh, in November last year. Uh, it is also true that this increase uh, in stocks, in industry refined product stocks was also driven by the releases from strategic reserves by the US and other uh, EIA, EIA members. 
Um, and uh, so if you look at stocks, including strategic reserves, they are even lower uh, than they appear in, the, in, the, in this chart here on the left-hand side, bottom left-hand side. Um, and so this should continue being a tailwind for the market going forward. Um, and uh, refining cracks uh, are uh, very high. Um, here we show uh, refining cracks um, in the US for, for diesel and jet fuel. And they are uh, very high relative to historical averages. Um, and one of the reasons for this is, of course, the very low inventories uh, of, uh, of diesel, um, but also the very fast increase in demand for jet fuel uh, as, China, as China reopens. Uh, uh, here we have a closer look at what, what is happening with jet fuel demand. It rose by 17% in 2022. And it's expected to rise by 14% in 2023 by uh, around 900,000 uh, barrels per day. So uh, 850,000 barrels per day. Uh, if you look at the number of commercial flights, we finally recovered 2019 levels, but this is just the number of flights. Of course, um, the, the longer distance flights are the ones which uh, have been suffering most. Uh, and which are lagging still a bit behind. And of course, they drive a lot of consumption of jet fuel. And that explains why there's still a lot of pent up demand for, for jet fuel, um, which uh, uh, driving the, the rapid increase in demand uh, anticipated for 2023. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, outlook for the crude tanker sector, I already mentioned this uh, is going to be an important driver also for the product tankers this year. Uh, the crude tanker segment has been, um, has negatively affected the product tankers uh, through the linkages that there are between the two sectors for, for many years in the, in the recent past, but this is not likely to be the case this year. Uh, the, the, the order book uh, in, in the sector is at record lows of uh, only 5.5% of the vessels on the, on the water. Aframax and Swiss Maxes have been doing especially well. Uh, the other vessel classes which seem to have been benefiting most from the, uh, from the, the conflict in Ukraine. Uh, the LCCs had a very good November, but have slipped since December, but they are still uh, at uh, uh, profitable levels, I would say, for most uh, operators. But they are also the, the sector which is likely to benefit most from the China uh, reopening. It's also important to note that 64% of the LR tools uh, are today uh, trading clean. Uh, we, that is the highest percentage uh, of, of the last three years. Um, the last time percentage was at similar levels was in January 2020. Uh, and it's not a surprise because the end of 19 was actually very strong for product tankers. Uh, and uh, with the strong, uh, very strong markets that we've seen now for, for the Aframaxes, it is likely that um, if, the, uh, if we don't experience a very fast recovery in the LR2 market, uh, some of these vessels, quite a few of these vessels could mig migrate into the, into the dirty trades uh, of these LR2s. 
and therefore uh, creating a further tailwind for the other uh, product actors. Uh, in terms of longer term trends, uh, um, well, the demand for the transportation of refined products has been rising very fast uh, since 2020 and is expected to continue rising fast in 2023 and 24. Um, COVID did uh, accelerate um, uh, the changes which were already ongoing in the refinery landscape with, uh, which are, with a lot of the refining uh, capacity moving east of Suez and in particular to, to China and the, and the Middle East. Uh, there were a lot of refinery closures uh, which occurred during the uh, during the, the COVID pandemic, 1.9 million barrels uh, confirmed the closures, and another uh, 600,000 barrels uh, of likely closures. Most of these located in the U.S., Europe, and in uh, Oceania. The U.S. Uh, the shale oil industry, in particular. Uh, has been uh, a very important contributor to the non-OPEX increase in oil production. We mentioned for 23, the International Energy Agency expects that it will contribute for 50% of the non-OPEX increase in oil production. Of course, there are headwinds there. There are all sorts of bottlenecks in the, for, uh, which are preventing uh, oil production from increasing faster, but nonetheless, it is anticipated to continue uh, rising driven mostly by private operators since a lot of the listed companies have been uh, favoring uh, dividend distributions rather than reinvestments. Um, the supply, uh, we, we covered uh, most of the demand factors which are um, helping the market. On the, on the supply side, the situation looks just as good, if not better. Uh, the very uh, high prices uh, of uh, steel uh, uh, have driven uh, um, a good level of demolitions um, uh, some time ago, but now, of course, with the very strong markets, this has dropped considerably. Uh, but at these demolition prices, of course, if for uh, some unpredictable reason, the markets were not to be as strong, and uh, it, could, it would create, in any case, uh, uh, an important incentive for uh, vessels to be uh, demolished. The, the fleet uh, is rapidly aging, also because of the low level of demolitions that we experienced in 2022, as we will see uh, in more detail uh, later in the presentation. And therefore, at the end of the year, we had over 7% of the fleet of MRs and LR1s, which was more than 20 years uh, old, and an order book, which was only of only 3%, 3.1%. So this is uh, a record uh, low order book. Uh, and also, uh, it's important to note that um, not only there is a much higher proportion of vessels, which are more than 20 years old, there's a very high proportion of vessels which are more than 15 years of age. And these are vessels which have commercial limitations. Uh, they are not able to, to call all terminals. Uh, and uh, as they age and uh, overtake this 15 year threshold, they, they start being uh, limited to some uh, marginal trades. And, and this percentage is expected to rise fast 
and reach uh, over 50% of the fleet by the end of 2024. Here we have a closer look at what happened with demolitions. 2021, Q2 and Q3 was actually, we had quite a uh, high number of vessels being demolished, but then as the market picked up in 2022, and uh, this shouldn't come as a surprise, demolitions uh, collapsed uh, and only one uh, vessel was demolished in Q4 22. Of course, this creates the potential for much more demolition going forward. Um, new building orders have been uh, subdued. They have been on a declining trend since 2018. And last year, uh, it was uh, the, the lowest level since, since, 2000 and, uh, since 2018, or the 42 vessels. And since 2007, there were only two years where less, uh, a lower number of vessels were ordered. So this, uh, this is a trend which we expect to continue also because uh, there is a lot of uncertainty relating to the technology which will prevail uh, to allow us uh, to meet the uh, ambitions, uh, ambitious IMO and EU uh, CO2 reduction uh, targets. Um, uh, and therefore, uh, putting all of this together in terms of fleet growth, the, the, the fleet is expected to grow by 0.6%, uh, even with very limited demolitions in 2023, and could potentially grow by even less in 2024. Um, finally, just a quick look here at the um, our NAV at the end of September, it was $611 million uh, on a per share basis. It was uh, $0.5 per share. And at the time we were trading uh, at $0.24 uh, per share. So an important 50% discount to NAV. Since then, uh, our shares have uh, traded up um, considerably. Uh, but we expect our NAV per share also to have risen uh, quite a lot. So I, I believe that covers uh, the presentation. So I'll pass it over to the Q&A. Okay. So the, the first question we have here relates actually to our NAV. So it's the, this last slide that we covered. Uh, and uh, um, the question is, why are we trading at such a large discount to NAV? And do we expect this discount to narrow? Um, well, yeah. Um, as I mentioned, I, I expect this discount to have narrowed uh, during the course of uh, Q4. Uh, the, the NAV, of course, has risen during the quarter uh, because uh, of the very strong results that we expect uh, to have made and because of the increase in uh, vessel values. Uh, but the share prices have risen uh, considerably. Um, Going forward, there's still uh, room for NAV to rise, asset values to rise, uh, 
as I mentioned in the presentation, five-year-old MRs are trading at uh, uh, 23% discount still to the 2008 peaks. Um, we also, of course, expect to generate substantial amount of cash uh, during, the, during the course of 2023. Um, I expect that, I believe that discount to NAV uh, is uh, driven by concerns relating to the sustainability of the current market. Uh, uh, and uh, part of these concerns um, are justified, of course, because the, 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 the war in Ukraine uh, uh, has had a very positive impact in the market. But uh, it should not be forgotten that there are also other very strong fundamentals which are supporting the market, uh, which, were, which I covered in the presentation now, which uh, in particular the very low order book and uh, the still uh, recovering demand in, uh, for refined products uh, uh, from, the, from the pandemic. So we've still uh, quite an important increase in oil demand expected in 2023, despite the difficult economic scenario for Europe and the US. So I think that when uh, once investors realize that this recovery has legs and can last a number of years, it is likely that this discount will, will narrow further. Um, um, another question here, uh, you are generating uh, substantial amounts of cash. Uh, so what do you intend to do with it? What are your capital allocation plans? Do you, do you, do you plan to, to distribute dividends? Oh. Uh, well, this is a decision that will be taken by the by the by the board and then by the shareholders. Uh, but I I expect that given the, the the very strong year we experienced in 2022, uh, a dividend will be declared. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned uh, in the presentation, one of our strategic priorities is to deleverage our balance sheet. Uh, also through uh, uh, the exercise of the uh, vessels that we currently Bamboo Charter in, uh, and we want to uh, reduce our break-even um, by doing so. Um, so let me see here, another question. So, uh, yeah, what is your current break-even point? Yeah, well, a break-even is currently around PL and cash break-even is currently around fifteen thousand dollars per day. They're quite aligned still. Going forward, because of our leveraging strategy, we expect that the both will decline. Hopefully, uh, the, as I mentioned, there are also some inflationary pressures uh, on the GMA and direct operating costs front, but. Uh, on the financial cost front, we are working very hard to, to, to bring these down. Um, and uh, so we expect both to decline, although the cash break even is likely to decline faster. Um, then uh, um, another question here, uh, which solution do you believe will prevail as the future fuel product tanker vessels. Uh, this is 
very difficult question. Uh, and as I mentioned in the, in the presentation, it's one of the reasons why probably uh, new building orders have been uh, so muted over the last uh, few years. Of course, uh, most recently also the increasing new building prices uh, has uh, reduced the, the appetite for, for new buildings. Um, uh, there are a number of competing uh, technologies uh, out there. Uh, there was a lot of talk of ammonia, uh, but ammonia is a fuel, it's uh, very dangerous to handle. So I believe it is unlikely to be the, the winning solution um, uh, for Trump vessels like, like ours. Uh, which have to be able to uh, refuel in many different locations. Uh, hydrogen uh, could also be a solution for some type of vessels, but I, I believe it is unlikely going to be a, a solution for, for product tankers um, uh, because of the uh, low energy density of hydrogen. Um, uh, methanol uh, is uh, most recently uh, uh, seems to be gaining some traction, uh, especially in the container space uh, with quite a few uh, vessels ordered by, uh, by some important operators that can also burn methanol. Um, it is uh, definitely a solution which uh, um, a fuel which uh, uh, would create less obstacles from a logistical perspective. Um, and, and therefore, it could be uh, eventually the, the winning solution. Uh, but I would say it's a bit too early to, to say. In the meantime, we uh, as a company have been testing uh, biofuels, which is a, a, a transition uh, a solution. We have tested uh, fuels with a 30% component uh, uh, of feedstock from renewable sources. and. Uh, uh, we are now moving on to test uh, fuels with a 40 and 50% uh, component from uh, renewable sources. The tests with the B30 fuels were very successful uh, and uh, all of our other ones are already certified to, to burn such, uh, such biofuels. So when they become more widely available, we hope to be able to, to use them in our vessels. Um, Another question here, uh, which is relating to the efficiency of vessels and to indirectly to, to the emissions. So, uh, how do you, yeah, you plan to reduce uh, the emissions of your vessels? So, well, for now, uh, mostly uh, um, um, we are looking at solutions which are not very capital intensive. Uh, that are quite easy to uh, implement proven technologies that can bring savings, uh, each one of these of around two uh, to 3% in, uh, in fuel consumption, uh, such as uh, low friction paints, uh, uh, echo nozzles, uh, uh, propeller boss cap fins, uh, echo torque, uh, um, uh, and uh, um, uh, of course, also how performance monitoring and, and optimal routing. So it's uh, it's a number. It's a mix of different solutions which uh, we hope will make our uh, vessels more efficient. For some of our older vessels, 
which I'm in not uh, not still in phase two of the EDI. We we also have uh, um, uh, planned some uh, small engine deratings to uh, to be able to comply with the EEXI regulations. Um, finally, here I think we are running out of time, but we can take maybe a last question. Uh, how do you explain? Uh, the correction of freight rates in the last few weeks, and are you concerned? Um, well, yeah, um, of course, uh, we prefer when the market is moving up or when it stays at very high levels like it was in December. So uh, there is uh, some element of concern. But if we look at the fundamentals, we, we feel, uh, you know, we feel uh, relieved because we, 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 they, they seem to be just as strong as they were a few weeks ago. Uh, and uh, uh, there are some, some factors which we can, uh, which we believe might explain the, the weakness we have seen uh, in the market in the last few weeks. Uh, there was a very uh, strong uh, cold snap in the US in December, which affected uh, refinery utilization substantially. They, they were from uh, good parts of last year, well above 90% in the mid 90s percent. And they, uh, they dropped to around 84, 85% as a result of this, uh, of this uh, cold spell. Uh, but they have been rising uh, recently again. Uh, I suspect most of the uh, additional uh, product, uh, refined product coming out is now going uh, catering for domestic needs, but uh, they should soon uh, hit uh, export markets because, of course, in uh, the importing regions, uh, I, I, I would expect there to be uh, a pent up demand building for these products. Um, there was also the Chinese New Year, which came uh, earlier than usual this year, which ended last week, uh, and which negatively affected most likely activity in, in Asia. And we have seen already over the last few days that with the return of the traders to their desks this week, activity, especially in North Asia, has been picking up quite a bit. Um, and there has been also some stabilization in South, uh, in the South of Asia uh, and some promising uh, signs also in the, in the AG. So, so we, we expect the market uh, hopefully to rebound uh, east of Suez uh, in, uh, uh, quite soon. Uh, the Atlantic, the market is still very weak, but, uh, but we have good reasons to, to expect it to, uh, to rebound very strongly, uh, uh, especially as the, the sanctions, uh, uh, European sanctions on Russian exports of refined products come into, uh, come into force on the 5th of February. Until the 5th, the Russian can export and has been exporting actually quite a lot of oil to, to Europe in January. So we are still not seeing the effects of these sanctions. Uh, it is also true that uh, apparently uh, few VLCCs were fixed with gas oil cargoes uh, in the beginning of this year uh, on their maiden voyages from Asia to, to Europe. 
um, and that uh, might potentially have also negatively affected the market. Uh, this is not a trend we expect to continue because uh, as we mentioned in the presentation, the outlook for the DLCC market is very strong um, uh, because of the reopening of the Chinese economy. Um, finally, I, I would say that there was most likely some front loading of, of uh, cargoes in, in December last year in, in anticipation of the sanctions uh, coming into force in February, and we uh, have been paying the price of this uh, in the course of January this year. Uh, market. Um, Carlos, we need to wrap up if you don't mind. Okay, yeah, just last comment. Market players are still very positive about the outlook. Uh, the FFA market, if you look at TC2, TC14 combined for the last three quarters of the year, it is still at around $36,000 per day for an MR. So, and the, the TC rate for an echo MR for one year, as I mentioned in the presentation, is at $32,000 per day. So, a very, very good, good levels, which, uh, which are testaments to the very good prospects for the market this year. So, Carlos, thank you for a very detailed and thorough presentation as we always give a, a very good presentation and also for um, a lively Q&A. Uh, I'd like to thank you. I'd like to thank the participants for being with us. And in closing, I will remind everybody that this live session is going to be archived and available for uh, access upon demand uh, later on. So thank you to everybody and uh, we can all uh, disconnect. And thank you again. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you.